We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. I'm so excited this morning because we have one of my uh, good friends, Nathan Lorick, is here this morning to share from God's Word. Nathan is the executive director of the Colorado Baptist uh, Convention, uh, but before he was a bigwig over there, he was a normal ETBU student like Todd and I, okay? So he used to be nothing, just like us, right? Now he's kind of a big deal. And so, uh, but I'm so excited that Nathan is here, and, and I can't wait for you guys to meet him. Nathan has been uh, to New Beginnings before. He is a friend of our church, and we are excited to partner with him and the work that God is doing in and through him in Colorado. So, church, would you help me welcome this morning my good friend Nathan Lork? Thank you, Matt. I could have listened to that introduction all day, and I thought for a moment we were going to have to. So, uh, <laughs> you and mine uh, calling my wife and kids and telling them I'm a big deal, that would be a news shocker to them. So, uh, so privileged to be here. So honored. Thank you. I, I love Matt. Uh, you know why I love Matt? Because he's excited about Jesus. I love people that got saved and never got over it. You know it? And that's Matt. When you're around him, man, you just want to go charge hell with a, a water pistol and feel confident that you can do it. And so, uh, man, I love you, bro, and I uh, love this church. And the story of what God is doing in this place is phenomenal. And I want to take just a moment of personal privilege and say thank you. Whether you know it or not, you guys are actually partnered with some church plants in Colorado and you have sent teams and are sending another team, I believe, this summer. And, man, that means so much to us there. Um, and so I tell people all the time, uh, the one good thing about Colorado is that even on a bad day, I have the Rocky Mountains in my windshield. Um, the one bad thing is it's the most beautiful place in America that people will die and go to hell from. And the second bad thing is you can't use word like fixing there because they don't understand that. But you understand that here. <laughs> And I used to say, so I love coming back to Texas, and people used to say, uh, it's God's country, and I, now I come back and say, it is God's country, but I never really understood what that meant, because, um, uh, you know, it, it is, but now, now I understand, it's because of that orange W you have called Waterburger, and uh, that's God's country. <laughs> and so, hey, it's so good to be with you. I'm so privileged and honored. I do feel a little bit like this today. My wife and I, we have four kids. Names are any, mini, miny, and it, because there ain't going to be no mo, I promise you, all right? And so um, uh, one Valentine's evening, we got to go on a date night. And if you have young kids, you understand you don't get a lot of adult conversation about life and life dreams and life goals uh, with kids. And so we were at dinner, nice restaurant, lights were dim because it was Valentine's Day, candle lit, and we just were enjoying kind of going deep in conversation. All of a sudden, the lights went off completely. I mean, it went pitch dark, and the candles blew out, and it was kind of an awkward moment. It was a little more awkward. My wife said, Nathan, 
you have not kissed me like that in a long time. What's gotten into you? The lights came back on. I said, babe, I didn't kiss you. What are you talking about? <laughs> she looked over at the table next to us, and there was this good-looking GQ guy. She goes, well, I guess it was him. I stood up, and I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to teach that guy a thing or two. And she said, sit down, Nathan. You can't teach him anything. So uh, I, need, I do need to tell you that's not a true story. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here and qualified for ministry today. Um, but I do feel like that. I feel like I really can't teach you anything this morning. But I do believe that God's got a word for us. And I want you to know from the outset, my heart, oh, how my heart beats for this. I so desperately desire to see a move of God in my lifetime, in our generation, that is unparalleled in our land. A move of God where people go, what in the world's going on? And all we can say is we have no idea. It's God. And I desire that with every fiber of my being. But in order for us to see a movement of God like that, we are going to have to align our heart with the heart of God. So what is the heart of God? The heart of God is easy because Jesus himself said it when he said, I came to seek and save that which is what? Lost. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know that God loved humanity enough that he wanted us to be reconciled with him. So he sent his son to give his life for us that we may be reconciled, live in the peace of God. So we know that God's heartbeat beat for us that what does scripture say? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we know at the outset of today that to experience a movement of God, we have to align our heart with the heart of God. What is the heart of God? God's heart was God so loved the world that he was willing to send his son for those that were lost, you and I, in our helpless, sinful state, that we may be reconciled to God. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about capturing the heart of God. And what would that look like in 2020? Like we're in a, we're not just in a new year, we're in a new decade. And so what would it look like as we look forward individually as followers of Christ, but also corporately together as a church, what would it look like if we aligned our heart with the heart of God and said, God, like no other time in my life, I'm going to position my life to pursue lost people, to pursue your heart with every fiber of my being. Well, today in, in Romans chapter 9, and in, in, in Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, we're going to see the Apostle Paul, this hero of the faith, we're going to see him in a moment of vulnerability. We're going to see him lay his heart out bare before us and really expose the inner depths of his heart. And as we see that, I want us to see three simple things today that really, they are elementary in thought process but they are spiritually heavy. And I just want to be very upfront with you this morning. My hope and my desire is that as we look at God's word for just a few minutes this morning, that you and I would be convicted by the spirit and that you and I would feel the spiritual weightiness of this God moment in our life. And so we're going to see three simple things this morning about capturing the heart of God, aligning our heart with the heart of God, and that being for lost people. The first thing we're going to see is found in chapter 9, verse 1, 2 through 3. Paul says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Listen to this next phrase. That I have great sorrow. 
and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now, let me set the context. Paul is talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the people he does life with. He's talking about his kinsmen, his relatives, his friends, those who he is living life with. And here's what he says. He, he knows that they do not know Christ. He knows that the nation of Israel follows the law, but they had not embraced Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus didn't come in uh, on, a, uh, uh, you know, on a chariot. He came in on a donkey. He, didn't, he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He, he, was, he didn't come come to, uh, to, to be served like a king, but to serve and give his life for a ransom as scripture teaches us. So they did not embrace him as Messiah, as the one came, who came to, to, to save the sinners from, from their sin. But yet Paul is saying like, they are so close because they followed the law, but yet they're so far because they've not embraced Jesus. And so Paul, to set the context, is talking about the people he lives with. He's talking about the people he does life with. He's talking about his very nation, the blood that flows through his veins. And listen to what he says. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. The first thing Paul teaches us, a very simple principle, is that Paul was broken for lost people. He was broken for those who did not know Christ. Listen to the descriptive language. He doesn't say, I'm a little troubled. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul tells us his heart physically hurt for lost people. And his heart hurt and that it caused sorrow and, and tears in his life. Let me ask you this question from the outset this morning. When is the last time your heart hurt for those who didn't know Jesus in your life? No, I'm, not, I'm not talking about when's the last time you thought about it. I'm talking about when is the last time you had to take a deep breath because your heart was filled with sorrow. Or maybe I'll ask it this way. When is the last time you shed a tear for someone in your life who did not know Christ? And, and, and the reality is, if Jesus were to come back today, they would likely spend all of eternity separated from him. I say likely because if they truly don't know Christ, they would be separated from him. Maybe you don't know that about this person. Maybe you don't know where they stand. And and so you don't know where they, are, where they are before the Lord. But let's just say those people in your life that you know do not know Christ, if Jesus were to come back today, they would be separated from him in a place called hell. And, and, and listen, people used to say, well, you know, the worst part of hell is heat. Give me a break. You live in East Texas. The worst part of hell is that you will be eternally separated from the presence of God. You will know it and can do nothing about it for all of eternity. That's the worst part, man. That's the part that should grip our hearts for those people in our life who do not know Christ. And the truth is, here's what Paul says. I have great sorrow. And my heart hurts. Some of you today, you have a, a son or a daughter who doesn't know Christ or they're running from God. And i got to ask you, does your heart hurt? Some of you, you have a grandson or a granddaughter. And let's just be honest. Like you've gone to great lengths to set up their inheritance. But what good does that do if they don't know Jesus? 
Some of you have a husband or a wife that doesn't know Christ or a mother or a father or a sister or a brother or a, 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 a classmate, a neighbor, a co-worker. Somebody in your life doesn't know Christ. And my question today is, are we following the pattern of Paul's heart as, he, as he's vulnerable for us? And is our heart hurting for those people? Listen to what he says, I have a great sorrow. In other words, man, it's not just sorrow, it is great sorrow. He says, I have unceasing anguish. Philip's translation would say that he has a never-ending pain. Anybody wake up with a pain this morning? Yeah. Right? I told, I told the first service, I'm kind of getting that age now where I can go to bed and everything's completely fine and I wake up injured. I don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> well, I'm just kind of at that life stage, right? I literally had knee surgery in August and the doctor said, what'd you do? I said, I have no idea. I just woke up one day, my knee hurt. I know what I was kicking at in my sleep or something, but... It's this nagging pain, right? You, you hurt yourself and it's there and it's always there to remind you that you're injured and it's always there to remind you that you can't do what you used to do, right? I was a football player in high school and the older I get, the better I was. And now I have a teenager who's playing high school football and I remind him how good I was, but the truth is I couldn't even go stretch with him or I'd hurt myself. <laughs> and it would be there constantly reminding me of the pain that I'm in. This is the picture that Paul paints about people in his life who do not know Christ, that it's a never-ending, constant, nagging pain of their lostness in his heart. So that person in your life, that son or that daughter, that husband, that grandchild, whoever that is, does your heart really hurt for them? Like, do you wake up in the morning feeling that pain that, if something were to happen today, they would spend eternity without Jesus. This movement of God I'm talking about, I, I've heard my grandparents always talk about church services where the Spirit of God just poured himself out and people came to the altar and just begged God. And I had never experienced that until uh, a few years ago I went to the Philippines and uh, we were doing a pastor's, pastor's wives retreat or conference and from all of the different islands in the Philippines and Monday night, we sang the same three songs because that was all they knew. <laughs> and then we opened the word and got to experience something at the end of that, that, end of that time together I'd never experienced. We, just a very simple word like this, and we opened it up, and all of a sudden, man, these pastors, your pastor's wife, they just flooded the altar. And it wasn't like a quiet flooding. They came and they began weeping and wailing out loud. And they would say things like this. I'll never forget it standing there. I didn't know what to do. They, 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 would, they would say things like, oh, God, don't let anybody on our island die without hearing the gospel. Oh, God, give us our island. Oh, God, would you pour out your spirit? Oh, God, would you save those who are lost on the, these islands? And, 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 and they were audibly weeping and crying. And, 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 and we got past the first song. And I don't know about you, but as a Baptist, that's awkward after that. You don't know what to do because we're used to three stanzas. We're out of here, man. We got to the end of the song and they are still weeping and wailing and crying out to God. And we're like, we knew we were in a holy moment and we didn't want to stop that. So sing it again, sing it again, sing it again. And, 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 and that didn't go on for 20 or 30 minutes. That didn't go on for an hour. For two solid hours, these people were begging God. For a movement of God on their islands through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, they were broken for their island. 
I just wonder what would happen today in our context if a group like this at this church became so broken that the only thing that mattered in that moment was crying out on behalf of those people God put in our lives to be saved. One friend of mine said it this way, the only thing worse than being lost is being lost when no one's looking for you. See, Paul opens his heart and he says this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. In other words, he said, I'm so broken for my people. I'm so broken for those people in my life. But the second thing he says to us, listen to what he says in verse 3, for I, wished, for I could wish I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, I don't want you to miss this. I believe Paul uh, believes theologically like we do, that once you've given your life to Christ, once you've crossed that line of faith, you can't lose that salvation. Like uh, the Bible says that you are bought with a price, the blood of Christ. You are bought with a price. I've searched scripture from the front to the back. I've never found a customer return desk in heaven. I've never found where Jesus can say, God, I bought Nathan with my blood, but I didn't like how it fits. So I'm, I'm going to send him back and go exchange him for somebody. No, no, listen, you give your life to Christ. You're radically transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus. You are sealed for the day of redemption. Yes, you're going to mess up, but there's grace. His mercy is new every morning. And so understand this, like, like Paul didn't believe that he could. He said, if, if I could wish, here's what Paul says, if I could, I would be willing to step aside and give up my salvation if these people, my relatives, my kinsmen, my my people would give their life to Christ. Now listen to me, my friends. I want you to understand something. I love all of you in the Lord, but I don't love any of you enough to give up my salvation for you. And before you look at me too sanctimonious, you don't love me enough to do that either. <laughs> listen to the burden that Paul has. So he, Paul teaches us, and he's broken for the lost. The second thing Paul teaches us is that we are to be burdened for the lost. Paul, in these words in chapter one, oh, chapter 9, verse 3, he says, I am so burdened that if I could, I would give it all up that these people would know Christ. Can I be really honest with you today? I want that kind of burden. I can't say I've ever felt that deep of a burden. Paul lays this out and he says, I'm broken for them. My heart hurts, great sorrow. It's never ending pain knowing that there are people in my life that do not know Christ. And then what he says is, and if I could, I would give it all up so that they could know Christ. So he's broken for lost people. He's burdened for lost people. But I want you to understand this morning, there is a difference between being bothered and being burdened. See, when you're bothered, you can sleep at night. When you're burdened, you have to pray. When you're bothered, you can just say, ah, that, you know, somebody else will come along and share the gospel. When you're burdened, you start thinking, how can I, how can I share the good news of Christ? How can I go to them? I, see, burden requires action. You ever lost a kid intentionally or unintentionally, I should say? <laughs> I got kids now that I'd lose intentionally just for some peace and quiet for a little while. I was pastoring in East Texas at a in a small town right outside of Athens, and my wife would send me to the grocery store, and she'd always say, Nathan, why does it take you two hours to go get a gallon of milk? I'd say, honey, you don't understand. I had a deacon's meeting on aisle six, a marriage counseling appointment on aisle 12. 
somebody complained about my sermon at the meat market. I mean, you just, you know, it's just the way it is in a small town. And, and, and so one time I, I took a couple of my boys with me and we were in the store and we're having a good time looking at Bluebell or whatever it was. And I look up and one of my kids is gone. You ever had that feeling where your heart sank to your stomach? I started running through the store trying to find my son. And do you think I cared what was in my basket? Or do you think I cared what anybody thought about me running through that store yelling for my son, yelling his name? No, why? Because when he was lost, all that mattered was finding him. You think I was bothered? No, I was burdened to find that which was lost. What if we lived our life with that kind of burden towards lost people, those who don't know Christ, those who don't experience the freedom and the hope and the peace in God that you have as a Christ follower? What if we live with that kind of burden? It doesn't matter what people think. All that matters is finding that which is lost, telling them of the glorious news that they could be set free by the blood and the power and the love of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says, look, I'm broken for lost people. Like My heart hurts. But it doesn't stop there. I'm burdened. Like I'm, I'm spurred into action because my heart hurts so much. See, I've found as a pastor and then as one who leads a network of churches that one of the greatest and most unspoken challenges in the church today is that we live so indifferent to those around us. In fact, I say it this way that we often forget the reality of hell because we f refuse to be around those who are headed there. And if we're going to see a movement of God, we've got to align our heart to the heart of God, and that is broken for lost people. That's burden for lost people. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest pastors I think history has ever known, pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And uh, man, just what an influencer. He was speaking to his church. There's two quotes that I try to live my life by, two quotes that serve as somewhat of a litmus test for my life. And I want to pass those off to you today. And maybe they serve as a litmus test for you. Maybe they serve as a litmus test for your family or, or perhaps even this church. Here's the first quote he says, and he was talking to his church, and he says, the fact is, brethren, we must have conversion and work here. We cannot go on as some churches do without converts. We cannot we will not, we must not, we dare not. Souls must be saved here. And if many not be born to Christ, may the Lord grant to me that I may sleep in the tomb and be heard no more. Better indeed for us to die than to live if souls not be saved. Do you hear the burden in his heart? Do you hear the brokenness over the mission to take the gospel when he says, listen, God, if my life is not used to see people changed by the power of the gospel, then take me out, man. Put me in the tomb. Silence my voice. Better is it for me to die than to live if my life is not lived for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. He's saying to his church, better for us to shut the doors, put a lock on it, and sell the building than it is for us to exist and not reach people with the gospel. Listen to the burden in his heart. Let it be a litmus test for us. Are we that burdened to say, God, if my life is not used for your glory, take me out, man. I'm better dead in silent than I am living in silent. Listen to the second quote. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. 
And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Oh, the passion for lost people in his heart when he says, if hell must be filled, let it not be because I didn't share. Let it not be because I didn't warn. Let it not be because I didn't pray. Listen to what he says. If it must be filled, don't let it happen on my watch that they go there and have never heard the gospel or have never, never been prayed for. What a burden for lost people. There's a difference between being bothered and being burdened. Which one are you today? So question number one, when's the last time you truly hurt for that person in your life who doesn't know Christ? When's the last time you, sh you shed tears? Second question, are you bothered or are you burdened? There's a third thing Paul teaches us and shows us. It's found in chapter 10, verse 1. As he finishes his discourse, he gets to chapter 10, verse 1, and he kind of summarizes this conversation about this nation not knowing Christ. And here's what he says, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Listen, brothers, because I'm broken for them, because I'm burdened for them, the one thing that that causes my heart to hurt is their lostness. And so the one thing I can do is I can beg God for their salvation. Listen, he says, my heart's desire, my prayer, I'm begging God, my prayer to God is that they may be saved. So we're broken for those who don't know Christ. Our heart literally hurts for that son or that grandson or that granddaughter, that husband, that wife, that daughter. And I'm burdened. Like I can't come to church and sing how amazing God's grace is if I'm not willing to go tell that person about amazing grace. Like, it's not okay. That's living indifferent. That's, that's, that's coming in and, 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 and saying, God, you're, 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 you're so great and I'm so grateful for the gospel, but I'm just not grateful enough to tell somebody else about it. Like, God, I, I, I come and I sing about the freedom that Christ brings, but God, I don't want anybody else to experience that freedom. No, that's not okay. Like, we've got to be burdened. And then Paul says, but the answer, the first thing you can do is beg God on behalf of that person. He said, brother, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is that they may be saved. I want you to understand this. Why am I so passionate about this? I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, down the road, not too far. Eight or nine years old, I was standing outside of my parents' bedroom on the night of their last night as a family, our family. Parents were fighting and decided it was done. I said, man, if that's, if that's a picture of God's love, I don't want it. So as a teenager, man, I just, I lived my life rough. Grew up in church. Both of my grandfathers were pastors. When I was a teenager, one of my friends began to say, hey, man, I want you to go to church with me. I said, hey, look, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt and didn't fit. Don't want that. No, man, I want you to come. And he just stayed on me about coming to church with him. Finally, one February Wednesday night, I went to the youth ministry at Summer Grove Baptist Church in Shreveport. Went to the third story of a, uh, of a building where the youth room was. And I sat on that back row that night. Band kicked off and worship service started. And I experienced something I'd never experienced before. Like I saw people really excited about Jesus. It's like, what is this? Youth minister comes up to me and goes, hey man, so glad you're here. Hey, we got this event called Disciple Now this weekend. Would you come to it and D-Now? Man, sure, why not? I'll come. 
But instead, my sister was a grad student at LSU, go Tigers. And I went down and partied with college students that weekend. Monday morning, I get to school and we get to lunch period. Guess who's at my lunch period? That <laughs> nagging youth minister. And he comes up to me in front of all my friends and he points his finger in my face and he says, hey, bro, you lied to me. And I was like, man, I don't care. You're like 40. What are you doing at my school, you know? Now I'm almost 40. It doesn't seem that old. So like, what, what are you doing here? And he said, no, you lied to me. I said, fine, what do you want me to do? He said, I want, you to, I want you to make it up to me. I want you to come back to church on Wednesday night. I said, fine, I'll be there. So the first time I went to get my friend off my back. Second time I went to get my conscience clear. <laughs> February 11th, 1998, I go back to that church. I sit back on that same back row. It was a different night. There was nothing major fancy. It wasn't a lot of lights. We didn't even play Chubby Bunny, if you've ever played that. We didn't even play Chubby Bunny. All it was was students getting up one after another going, this is what God did in my life in Disciple Now. This is what he wants to do in your life. This is what God, where God met me. Here's where he wants to meet you. One after another, these teenagers got up and shared what God had done in their life. And guess what happened? God began to speak to me on that back row and say, Nathan, listen to what they're saying. What I've done in their life, I want to do in your life. Nathan, I want to change your life. Nathan, I got something for you. And on that back row, God began to speak to me. Nathan, I've got something for you, but you need to surrender to me, man. You need to lay it down. And so after that service that night, I walked up to the student pastor and I said, hey, man, I'm ready. He said, are you sure? I said, I'm ready. And God radically changed my life. I've never been the same and I never want to be the same. And here's what he said. Nathan, I want to show you something. He said, follow me. And we go into this room and there's this wall. He said, what do you see? And I look on that wall and there's names everywhere. He said, no, look closer. And, and everywhere I looked on that wall, I saw Nathan, 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 all, all over that wall. And I'll be honest with you, the second time in church, it was a little creepy. <laughs> I said, man, what in the world is this? He said, Nathan, a few weeks ago, I we knew we had D-Now coming. And I challenge these students to identify one person in their life that they believed apart from a move of God, it was impossible to see this person walk with God. And he said, Nathan, I don't know what you've done to tick off so many of your friends, but you got a lot of friends. <laughs> hey, listen to me. Why am I so passionate that the church be broken and burden for lost people. Why am I so passionate that we stop doing all the things that are insignificant? We get on our knees and pray because I'm a product of it. Listen to me. I'm not a product of a church program, I, even though they're great. I'm not a product of a great church, even though it was a great church. I'm not a product of a great pastor, even though we had a great pastor. Like all of those things were in place. I am a product of 15, 16, 17, and 18 year olds getting serious and broken for their friends, identifying them as impossible and being burdened enough to, to invite and spur to action and then getting on their knees and asking God to do the impossible. That's what I'm a product of. Teenagers who we say they don't have a place in church. They're not ready yet. Listen, they're the ones that I'm a product of because they were broken and burdened from me so much so that they splattered my name on a wall and they got on their knees and said, oh God, would you do the impossible in somebody's life that we believe is impossible to see apart from you? I want you to understand every person in this room has an impossible in your life. 
Every person in here, there is an impossible in your life that you can be broken and burdened for and that you can go to God and beg God to do something crazy. This is what Paul says. I'm broken. My heart hurts. I'm burdened. Spurs me to action. And Paul says, and I'm begging God that they be saved. Cool thing is when Paul prays in Romans chapter 10, he's praying for lost people. Did you know Jesus prayed for lost people? Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer, is one of the greatest prayers obviously ever uttered, kind of breaking off in three places. The first part, Jesus prays for himself. Father, glorify me as I glorify you. Then he prays, Father, I'm praying for my disciples. He says, I pray that you keep them. Like, don't, he knows what they're going to go through. And he says, don't rescue them. Walk closer with them in the midst of it. Like, keep them. And then around verse 20, 21, here's what Jesus says. And Father, I pray this not only for them, talking about the disciples, but listen to what Jesus says. But for those who will believe. Watch this. Then he puts it right back on the disciples who will believe through their word or their testimony. In other words, Jesus prays for loss, but he puts the responsibility right back on the disciples to share the gospel. Now watch this. If I ask you today, who prayed you to Jesus? How many are you going to say, my mama, my grandmama, my uncle, my, 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 my Sunday school teacher, my pastor, my youth pastor, everybody's got somebody in your life that prayed you to Jesus. But my friends, might I remind you today. In fact, I came by and stopped on my way to heaven today just to tell you that long before mom uttered a syllable, Jesus prayed for you. Long before a pastor prayed for you, Jesus prayed for those who will believe. He prayed for you, my friend. And I want you to understand something. Here's like the really cool part about it. What this means is, since Jesus prayed for those who will believe, when you and I share the gospel and someone comes to faith in Christ, watch this, you're a part of answering the prayer Jesus himself prayed. How cool is that, that the God of the universe would invite us to be a, answering, a part of answering the prayer that Jesus himself prayed? So why is it so passionate? Why am I so passionate about this? Because I shudder to think what would have happened in my life or wouldn't have happened had those students not been broken and burdened for me. Had those students not taken that step and begged God to do the impossible. I shudder to think what my life would be had someone not loved me enough to beg God on my behalf. So what does that look like for us? You have an impossible in your life. And as we start this new year, as we start this new decade, what would it look like if a church this size said, you know what, all these other things are important, but nothing is as important as collectively begging God for the people in my life he's put in my life that they would come to know Christ. It's just taking that step of going, God, I'm serious. I, got, I know you can't tell this, but I'm a runner. Well, I used to run. When I lived in Texas, I ran. Now in Colorado, if you run, you can't breathe. So I like to breathe. And so I don't run. But in 2012, uh, I ran a full marathon. Any runners here? Anybody that runs? Pastor, I know a new ministry outreach group. You need to run. And um, uh, 
So I decided I was going to run. I don't generally brag on myself. I think it's not humble to brag. But if you give me a moment, I'm going to brag on myself just for a moment. I did something really incredible that day. I ran my first and last marathon on the same day. I mean, it's just <laughs> pretty awesome. So this, this marathon was in the woodlands. You say, why the woodlands? Because it was the flattest and most shadiest place in Texas to run a marathon. And so I said I was going to run a marathon. And I trained, and, and um, I'm running at marathon. I'm looking for my family the whole time. I can't find them. Finally, about mile 23, I see them. And I'm like, all right, so, man, I, this is an opportunity for me to really inspire my kids. Like, I'm going to inspire them. Dad's doing something crazy, like, Kids grow up and run, you know. <laughs> Put down the video games and actually run. And and I get up to them and I'm about to say this. I look and you know they got the signs, Dad, you're awesome, number one dad. Of course, one of them had run for us, run, you know. I mean, <laughs> obviously. Um, and I, I'm about to motivate them with everything I've got. And before I could say anything to them, I looked and I locked eyes with my wife. And before I could stop it, what came out was. Never again. <laughs> How's that for motivational speech? <laughs> Not exactly a band by the river, you know, kind of a deal. But I, um, I never again. And why? Because there were things in my body hurting that doctors still haven't discovered. I'm telling you. <laughs> so I keep running. About mile 24, there's this moral dilemma that happens for a follower of Christ. Mile 24, I don't know if you know this, but mile 24 is kind of where people's bodies start locking up. Like their legs lock up, they cramp. People pass out because they hadn't drank enough water. So you got this moral dilemma. Do I stop like the Good Samaritan and run my time? Or do I go by and hope that the paramedics get there on time? So I prayed for a lot of people as I ran by them. I hope the paramedics, you know, I'm mean, just, just being honest with you. And so about mile 24 and a half or so, this guy runs up and he kind of punches me on the arm. And he goes, hey, man, don't quit. We're too close. Finish strong. And I was like, thanks, sir. And I looked. I was like, man, this is amazing. This guy was running on one leg and one prosthetic leg. I was like, that is so cool. I'm so glad my kids got to see it. And then my carnal side kicked in, and I thought, but he shouldn't be beating me in a marathon, man. I'm 30, and I'm, I've been training, and he's got a major obstacle I don't have. And, but, man, he left me in the dust. But I thought, how cool is that? It's so cool that my kids got to see somebody with that kind of grit and dedication. I love it. Mile 25 and a half, we can start hearing the names of people being called when they pass through the finish line and people are cheering and then your heart starts beating you've been you, you just, i've been running for five hours you know a big deal and this lady runs up to me she says oh honey don't stop let's we're too close let's finish together honey let's finish together i said yes ma'am and i looked i did a triple take i said ma'am i promise you i'm not trying to be disrespectful but how old are you <laughs> the lord is my witness here's what she said oh honey i'm in my mid-80s so at this point, I'm mall walking. You ever seen a mall walker? <laughs> tennis shoes, tennis balls, right? They're like walking too fast to be walking, but not fast enough to be running. That's kind of the state I am in. And I said, ma'am, I'm not trying to be ugly. I promise you. But what are you doing running a marathon? <laughs> the Lord is my witness. Here's what she said. Oh, honey, this is my second one this week. <laughs> Remember that show, Different Strokes? What you talking about, Willis? I mean, I was like, What? And I thought to myself, there is no way that she is beating me to that finish line. <laughs> None. You ever heard a football coach in the fourth quarter go, man, you got to dig deep. Dig as deep as you can. Give me all you got. Let me tell you something. I dug as deep as the well of my heart would go 
as she crossed the finish line about 30 feet in front of me. I literally had tears coming down my eyes. My wife said, was it that emotional experience? You have no idea. So Nathan, why do you tell us that story? I just described three people with three major different life stages. One who had a major hurdle and obstacle to overcome, and he did it. One who in the middle was just kind of normal, like 30, trained, things were good. One who, for all practical purposes, shouldn't be running a marathon, much less two in one week. All three of us in different stages of life, but all three of us had one thing in common. You know what it is? All three of us at some point had to decide we're going to get off the couch and run a marathon. And every one of us had to take that first step. You know what I learned that day? A marathon's 26.2 miles, but a marathon's not run in miles. A marathon's run in steps. Every one of us, different lengths, had to take that step. So what is my challenge to you today? All across this room, there's different life stages, there's different obstacles. But every one of us can take that one step. We have one thing in common. God has placed an impossible in our life. We can take that next step together. Get on our knees, broken and burdened, begging God to save them. So here's the call. There's two people I'm talking to today. Number one, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you say, Nathan, I want the hope that you have, man, that, that set you free. Hey, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the pastors after the service. We want to show you how to cross the line of faith and become a follower of Jesus. Greatest decision in your life. Greatest God moment you can have. Please don't leave this place without doing that if that's you today. Second person I'm talking today is, is a follower of Christ, which I assume many or if not most of you are. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. It's just response time. Would you take that first step together? That one impossible in your life, would you come and get on your knees and begin to say to God, God, would you move in their life? Would you do the impossible in their life? I know the, the floor is hard. I know, but listen to me, it's symbolic to say, God, I'm taking a step to get on my knees and lay them at your feet. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, nobody comes to my mind. All the more reason to come pray. Say, God, there's somebody in my life that's impossible. Bring it to my heart. What would happen if we begin to cry out to God on behalf of those who are impossible, we think? I thank God for those 15, 16, and 17-year-olds who didn't live indifferent to my sin, but got on their knees together begging God for me. I shudder to think what my life would be like without it. What about that person in your life? What if you're the only person, apart from Jesus, what if you're the only person that's praying for them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray the power of your Holy Spirit today that in this room that you would break us and burden us for that impossible. God, in this moment, would you call people from all across this room to get out of their seat, take that next step, come and just lay these people at your feet, asking you to save them, asking you to allow these people to be a part of that process in that impossible's life. God, would you do the impossible in those people we believe are impossible so that you get the glory in our lives and in their lives. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. 
As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.